Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the CEO and co-founder of Flexibits, the company behind the excellent apps Fantastical and Cardhop, Michael Simmons. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I think I think I reached out to you a very long time ago. And uh, every time it's been right as you launched and your launches uh, tend to be big, flashy affairs. And you're always so busy. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to like push him on this. And then I like let it go until the next launch. And so I'm glad we're finally we're finally getting together to, to talk about this app. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely admire the title of your podcast because... I kind of like to fancy myself the master of the launch. I like when big launches happen. So, you know, admiring others' big launches, I always want to one-up it and make it make the best launch possible. So, yeah, the launch is very important to me. Well, it definitely shows. Uh, and the other thing that's come along uh, with that waiting is I've become, like, a devoted uh, Fantastic Owl user. I was a person who, like, didn't care that much about calendaring whenever I started this uh, because... I worked at a company and I sat in a room with all of the people that I worked with. And so, yes, we had a calendar, but for the most part, you know, everybody would say, oh, it's time for whatever. And they'd tap you on the shoulder and you'd walk off. <laughs> now, A, we're virtual. And so I don't have the person to tap me on the shoulder. And B, I'm running a podcast where I'm constantly scheduling people and trying to find times, uh, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, uh, to to get in touch with people. Like when, you know, when are both of us open? And it's just horrible, complicated issue. And Fantastical has become like the lifeline of uh, driving me through the day. And so uh, I think this time has been a good, it's been a good wait in terms of me being excited about this, at least. <laughs> That's great to hear. Cool. So to kick things off, uh, I always ask people three questions. So this is before we get into like Fantastical and Flexibits, I want to introduce people to who you are. And so the three questions I always ask are, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then what was your career like leading up to Flexibits? Great questions. And I'm going to talk a lot now because <laughs> there's a lot to that. Yep. That's, that's, that is why I just barrage you with three questions. And then I usually step back and try to close my mouth because this is where the good stuff comes. Yeah. So good question. So the first thing is I'm from New York. I grew up on Long Island, New York, um, if anyone's familiar with it. Um, actually a town called Massapequa, which most people seem to know it whenever I mention it. But yeah, I grew up in New York. And um, second question was, do I have any formal um, background in what I do? Not formal in the thinking that, you know, you, I went to college for computer science or specific something towards it. But what's interesting is I did go to college for communications and media arts. So like uh, video, film, broadcasting, oh, yeah. movies. Yeah. And... I personally find that very related. I personally find that very intertwined. Um, at the time when I was going to school, I probably didn't think of it that way. But to me, technology, software, whether it's games, even productivity, which I view it differently, I think an experience matters, right? I think the experience you have with the software you use, even if it is a quote unquote boring tool, should be an experience. And a lot of what I went to school for, media, communication, you know, per performance, if you will, um, I like to have that kind of show in whatever I build. Yeah. I mean, I obviously very much agree with that. That is, uh, I didn't actually have a formal background in that, but that was like my, that's always been my side hustle until I got into the iOS space was, uh, was animation and, and video production and stuff. And, 
it's kind of a similar deal. It's like the most boring software can still be a, you know, you, you create these experiences for people to get them into viewing data however they want or whatever, but you can like construct a narrative and inject a delight in there in the same way as you can doing a production or something. You're still trying to make people feel a certain way. Absolutely. I think of all of my projects whenever I do them, even a feature as sort of a movie and how would I present it? Like oh, interesting. The other interesting part is um, when I started out, like like when I was young, um, these were the Commodore 64, VIC-20, eventually Amiga days. And there was no way to really learn a computer per se. You kind of bought one and self-taught yourself. And that computer affinity I had growing up, right? Really just immersing myself into all that stuff. Eventually, which then led into my movie film communication days, I really feel like that that was the harvest of, yeah, I know how to use a computer and I really love computers. Yeah, I really love good experiences. Let's marry them. And that's sort of the direction my career went off into. Would you say that uh, you, you were at the intersection of uh, technology and liberal arts? I would 100% say I was because actually, believe it or not, um, the college I went to was very into liberal arts. And it's one of the reasons I picked it. And actually, the foundation besides film and communication, a lot of the stuff that we studied there, um, there was actually a course that was mandatory, which was humanities. And I always say because of that, because of that liberal arts, that humanities, that really allows um, really a lot of empathy in software design, right? Because you really think about people. And that's who's using software, right? That's who I want ultimately benefit from what I create. So I'm guessing based on that background then, uh, and this is a total guess. I don't actually know the answer here. The the Mac and that whole, I mean, that phrase, you know, that I was making the joke about uh, just was right in your wheelhouse where you jumped. Did you jump on that like right away and get really excited about it? Not at all. Oh, and wow. Okay. It'll be, yeah. A lot of people are surprised to hear this, but... I wasn't really a Mac user until college, until around roughly my junior year. So um, prior to that, I was a hardcore, hardcore Amiga user and a hardcore, hardcore Commodore 64 user. Um, obviously had a lot of video game systems, you know, I'm a child of the 80s, so Atari 2600 and television, Vectrex and on and on and on. Um, Sega Genesis, eventually Nintendo, blah, blah, blah. But my point was is, no, I was not into the Mac at all. Um, I got into it in college, actually, thanks to a roommate of mine who had one. And I remember at that time, the Amiga was kind of going away, uh, was just dying out. Um, and I remember seeing his Mac and he was very into customizing it. Like he would customize his hard drive icon and all these other things. And I remember being like, oh, that's really neat. Like there's these things on Mac. I never knew Mac could be this kind of personal, right? Right. And it just, you know, it attracted me. And then eventually I got a Mac and the rest is history. Okay. So, uh, the rest is history is, it could be the other title of this show at this point. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to keep digging into that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you graduated college then you hadn't like transitioned into a technology role at that point or degree, I guess. No. So by that point, and just to be clear, you're talking about like where I was getting, starting to get into the Mac. Uh, well, I'm just saying when you graduated, uh, where oh, did you go from there? Yeah. Did you jump into technology right away or was there sort of a detour? So I actually did jump into technology, but not in the way you'd think. Um, I actually started working for a video game company. Um, oh, okay. So there's technology. Yeah, there's technology for certain, but it was more, I always view, this is very strange. I don't know that people agree with me or probably get angry at me and send me hate mail, but <laughs> I see video games as very different from computing or computers. 
Um, maybe it's for when I grew up. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But like video games to me are more entertainment and more very creative. They're like art forms, like movies and apps like Fantastical or Card Hop or whatever that are apps. I'm not saying they can't be creative, right? We'll get into like where I see an experience being friendly and fun and humanistic, but video games to me just feel like a different industry. And I think they always will. Again, it might be from my generation or when I grew up, but I see video games as something very different, but very similar. No, I mean, I unless you're James Thompson, in which case you can do both at the same time. Uh, <laughs> I think they're definitely like parallel universes to a degree. Um, although I do think that both can and do frequently learn from each other and taking ideas from either, you know, there's a lot of I mean, I, the same goes for film or music or anything, I guess. Um, but I definitely feel like for they're sure. on very different tracks as far as goals. They might both technically be, you know, running through a processor, changing ones to zeros, but they're very different in terms of of how you would construct them and how they're certainly how they're uh, uh, consumed. Oh, they definitely are. And actually, a good way of putting it is this way. I would have never, when I graduated working for that video game company, ever thought I'd be making software for a living. You know, it's, I thought I'd be in maybe the gaming industry or doing video games, whatever it is. And that's, that was my mindset at that time that I definitely saw apps, you know, at that point was like, you know, applications such as maybe a word processor or a graphic app, right? In those days, I mean, we're talking about like 95, 96. Yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly. Lotus so Notes or whatever. Yeah. You didn't really have like that many applications. I'm certain if we went back to that time frame and saw like for a computer period, how many applications were there? Maybe a few thousand, but like, you know what I mean? Really nothing great, big, you know, it's only a few big names. So, yeah, but yeah, definitely, definitely see it differently as, you know, the video game industry was where I thought I was going into and that was my first gig. Okay. So, were you like programming at that time, designing? Uh, what was your actual role? No. So, my role was actually initially um, QA. I was an analyst, a QA analyst eventually. And what that meant was um, not only finding bugs, not only trying to find like continuity issues and errors and problems with the code and the games but also coming up with ideas for the games and um, analyzing other games. So we had gotten uh, some some games that were imported from other countries and I got to give input on like what I thought it was, how the continuity was, if it would work in America. It was more of a QA slash analyst role, if you will. Interesting. Okay. And yeah, it was really neat. I really liked that job a lot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, especially at that time when, uh, I mean, I guess the same was for software, but like so much of video games was defining itself at that time in terms of what it was as an industry, as a user experience, all of those things uh, that would have been wild. Yeah, there were fun times. I mean, that was just when the PlayStation was coming out and just when the Sega Saturn was coming out, you know, 32-bit gaming and 64-bit gaming and really just starting to push the envelopes. And, you know, fighter games were getting more polygons and everything. It was a fun time. I mean, I just remember seeing some of the stuff being like, man, we're we're really accelerating now. So how did you transition from that to software? So one of the questions I think you were asking, which I want to just touch on a little bit is, I don't have any programming background formally. I did dabble in programming on the Commodore 64 in my Amiga days in what I would call crude programming of hacking. So I knew enough to get into code. Back then it was different because it was assembly and a lot of hacking and, yeah. you know, cracking, if you will. Um, well, it was cracking, but the point is, is it wasn't, it wasn't writing code to make something work. It was sort of taking code and making things work. I don't want to say cut and paste coding because it just wasn't that way, but you know, similar to that. So, 
I always had an interest in code. I always understood what the code did. I always, you know, basically know how this stuff works, but I never really directly had this, I'm going to go into that and build stuff. I wanted to build stuff with other people. So like I knew a lot of coders or a lot of at that time engineers, programmers that I'd have all these ideas and be like, hey, let's do this. And they'd be like, that's great. We don't have any good ideas. So rather than them sitting around doing nothing, I was kind of the idea guy. But I knew enough about the code to not just say, hey, let's build this thing that'll reverse time and them being like, well, we can't do that. <laughs> so it always was very nice that I had the knowledge of what could be done and sort of where the boundaries are, but then, you know, work with somebody that could get it done and compliment them. Okay. So, and that was, that was even in the, in the game, uh, at the game company you were at? Yeah, that was in the game company. And then that starts fast forwarding. So to ask, you know, you're then asked, how did I transition? So... After the game company, I ended up working for um, one of the biggest, uh, well, it was really the biggest in, in New York, but um, telecom companies that did cable TV and a lot of entertainment, DVR. Like I worked in the new media group, so I was literally on the forefront of DVR and TiVo and all of these things that we have today where oh, nice. you know we just take it for granted. Streaming, right, exactly. So that was a lot of fun. And that I was a project manager, product manager, and I actually did a lot of user interface stuff there. So that transitioned from video games to more, if you will, apps, right? Because these were apps on the front end controlling the streaming for the video, user interfaces, how you actually make things start, how you do purchases, how things appear, how buttons appear, how people inter you know, in in um, right. interpret the stuff. actual experience of a human being interacting with that software. Exactly. And that's when I knew I loved user experience, user interface, the interaction part of it. I realized that was my forte, just like with the film, just like with the movies. Um, I liked making sure that everything was pleasant, easy, and simple. You know, just that, that, that was my thing. That was my passion. So there's been a lot of jobs in between there and Flexibits, but the short version is I got ultimately back into the Mac industry or got into the Mac industry. Um, right after Cablevision, there was a company in California that wanted me to become the head of product for these um, software drivers they were making. It was like hard disk drivers and CD, CD burning, CD-ROM burning drivers, CDR drivers. And um, that, that got me into the Mac industry. And, you know, from there, it's been a wild ride and obviously to get into my own gig at Flexibits. Uh, but yeah, that's that, that that was the real, okay, you're getting into software, moving out to California, working for a company that makes Apple software. And then, yeah, a lot of, lot of things after that. I'm happy to go into them, but there's, there's a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what this show really is, is like, I, I kind of want to get into where did Flexibits come from? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so, so that company was called ProSoft. They actually had a subsidiary called Radiologic. Radiologic was the company that did the CD drivers, hard disk drivers, a lot of utility type stuff. Okay. Um, very esoteric today. No one would really care. <laughs> but in, the, in those days, they were quite important because to mount a hard disk drive, uh, to mount a CD burning, you know, a CD drive to your Mac to get stuff to work. These, these tools that the company made were incredible. And what happened then, if you believe it or not, is Apple acquired that company. Um, ah. I was there for a pretty short amount of time. And then um, one of the things that I was involved in, Apple acquired the company. And that CD burning software actually became the burning software that was part of the iMac, RipMix, Burn, and iTunes stuff that you probably oh, interesting. remember from 2001. 
that's kind of cool. So yeah, that was really cool. And then um, get, went to work at Apple, did some stuff there. The stuff I did at Apple was really more in education. I was a system engineer and I did some stuff with the retail stores there. So that was a little more eclectic because from a product point of view, it was a very different time, right? There wasn't a, Apple was a very different company in 2001 and 2002-ish, yeah. that time frame than when they are today. So there wasn't a lot of software opportunity per se there. Okay. So um, then I moved on. I went to work for a company that actually was featured in an Apple keynote. So here stays my connection to Apple. Um, they were called Pasco Scientific. And you may have remembered um, one of their products. Um, I want to remember, I want to say the name was uh, Imagineworks, but I, my, my brain's a little hazy right now. But basically they made these sensors that measured things like gravity and force. And if you remember the Phil Schiller demo with the iBook on ah. Wi-Fi, he jumped off a platform. Yep. Yeah. So ImagineWorks was part of Pasco Scientific. And my role there was actually a really cool role. Um, I helped them with a lot of their marketing trade shows and, and videos. I actually did a lot of video production for like demos. We were actually doing like podcast videos before they became a thing. Oh, nice. So getting, getting to flex that, uh, that degree a little bit again. He, you got it. No, exactly. And I remember like they needed someone for videos. I'm like, I'll do it. Yeah. And they were like, really? And then, you know, I made some stuff and they were like, wow, this is really good. And I, I loved it. I mean, I love that company. It was a really good time. And they're, you know, besides just generic physics and, and scientific products, they did a lot of stuff with computers, specifically Apple. And, you know, being part of that keynote was so much fun. And, you know, the whole it was a great time. Great time. So then after that, um, I don't know if you remember an old company that's sadly defunct now, but Ambrosia Software. I have definitely heard that name, but I couldn't tell you what they did. So a couple of things, as I say, and you'll be like, oh, yeah. So they had a game called EV Nova. They had a game called Maelstrom, Bubble Trouble. Then they did some software uh, utilities, uh, Snaps Pro X or Snaps Pro 10 and Wiretap Studio, which was an audio recording tool. They had, um, when the iPhone came out, something called iToner, which allowed you to do ringtones. Very, very, very eclectic company in that they did games and utilities. And notice earlier, I said I saw them as different. Yeah. So it was really super unique about them. And I always, and I always will admire Ambrosia. It's one of the great companies. And I really, really was so proud to have even been able to work there. They just did really cool stuff. It didn't matter. And that, that's part of where I got to today is seeing Hey, you don't just have to be a utilities company or a boring utilities company or, or just a games company. If it makes sense and it's a great product, do it. I think we're seeing some of that also. I'm sure you're familiar with Panic, of course, very well. Yeah, that's the example. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I somehow bring them up like every episode. So I was like, I was holding back. But yeah, they're like the obvious example. No, it's hard not to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard not to bring them up. And you know, what's funny is Panic has always mostly been a utilities company, right? With Audion and and I'm trying to think of all the transmit, apps, you know, transmit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then on, but they are now, well, for a while now, anyway, getting into games. And there's again that hey, who cares? We're a utilities company. We could do games too, right? Like we just we'll make cool stuff and whatever it is, it is. Yeah, exactly. So I, I like that attitude. Obviously, an Ambrosia software, a Panic, a Flexibits, we have more. You know, ability to do that because we're smaller companies, right? So, right. Um, there's definitely a nice, nice thing to being small. So you can just kind of do stuff like that. But yeah, it's very rare. I mean, you probably can't name on, on more than one hand of fingers how many companies do games and utilities. I think I couldn't probably name more than three or four. Like, you know, really. There's a reason uh, uh, Panic is the one that always comes to mind because, yeah, there's not a lot. Or they're, or they're <laughs> well, like... Right, Ambrosia's uh, not around anymore. So, yeah, really, it is just Panic. What was the original uh, Slack company 
What, what, wasn't uh, he trying to make a game like multiple times and he kept accidentally making super successful companies? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Slack came out of a game company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So, but that's a little different in that they were a game company and they had an internal tool that they published, right? right? Where Panic is a, and always will be, at least in my heart, a utility company. They make, they make power tools. I don't want to say power tools that it has to be a power user, but their tools are powerful tools. Right. They let you do things that you couldn't normally do with beautiful, simple user interface. That's what I would describe Panic as. But then, okay, cool. Hey, we have this opportunity to do Untitled Goose Game. Yeah. Let's do it. Like, why, why wouldn't we? We have software. We know how to sell it. We're smart and we're, you know, fun. Let's do it. So, but Ambrosia really had that attitude initially, I would say. Um, Panic did foray, I want to say this because cable will kill me, but like they did foray into games at one point because they had done these CDs for Macworld where there was a hidden game on there. Oh. So, and they always do fun stuff anyway. I mean, look at Audion. But right. my point is, is like now they're like a proper utility games company similar to Ambrosia. So yeah, I just, I find that very cool because I think games and utilities are so different personally. Okay. So you're at Ambrosia and... I'm still, I'm still like, man, but where does, how, how do you get from there then to your own independent company? So Ambrosia um, was, was a very interesting time because the iPhone was coming out. There was a lot going on at that time. I was re- literally there at the precipice of Mac days. Now there's a thing called the iPhone and what are we doing to do that? And I had all these ideas about iPhone and where we would go and all the stuff that would grow. And I found out about a company um, called Cultured Code, which you may have heard yeah. a product called Things. Right. Well, I ended up going over there and I helped them launch things oh, wow. at Macworld. Man, talk about great experience, uh, user experience. Man, that is absolutely a beautiful app. No, absolutely. And you know, at that time when I was leaving Ambrosia, I was actually mulling around starting my own thing. That was sort of the seed of Flexibits at that time. But things was so beautiful. The guys were really good guys. When we chatted, we had really good synergy. I really wanted to work with them. Really like the product, really like the mission, really love the user interface and the presentation. You know, I just like, all right, I want to go work there and work there for a few years. It was really good. Helped them launch their products. I was basically in charge of business development with some product input and product development, you know, okay. design, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, it was a small company. So it's always jack of all trades when you're at a small team. And that was so much fun. Helped launch that, helped launch the iPad app. Really, really good times. They're they're based out of somewhere in Europe, right? Yeah, they're in Germany. Germany, they're in okay. Stuttgart, Germany. Yep, yep. So you know, then then at that point when I was there and I was working on things, I really just had I kept having itches to do all these features, as you know, with Flexivits, and I'm really proud of this now because now I can look back, right? I can say last eleven years, ten years of Flexivits, we shipped a lot, Charlie. Like. <laughs> I, I think about what, what, back, what would, what would Michael back in 2009, 2010, when we started this, have expected if I looked forward? I should have made a list of what I think will ship in 10 years. I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But looking back, I'm like, oh my God, we shipped so much stuff, like more than I think I would have guessed. And that's why I decided to start my own thing is because whether it was Ambrosia or Culture Code or whatever, I always had all, let's do more, let's do more, let's do more. And it's really hard to do that, right? right. When you don't have your You're own trying company. to get other people to shift their priorities and you're just like bubbling over with ideas that you want to try and make happen. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that's that's what started me to say, let's, let me start my own thing. And at that time, my friend Kent, he was, we were already doing stuff together. He had an open source project called Chax. Was collaborating with him. I had said, Hey, why don't you intern at Ambrosia? Why don't you intern at Culture Code? You know, I was kind of like keeping him around because we worked well together. Yeah. And then I finally said, Hey, you want to start a company? And he was like, Yeah, we did it. And then, you know, started Flexivits. 
Um, first thing, believe it or not, was not Fantastical. It was a preference pane called Cameras. Do you remember this? No. I, I yeah. like full disclosure. Um, my entry into the Apple ecosystem is weird because, like, I came also through Film World. Uh, so my whole reason oh. for getting a Mac was for Final Cut Studio. Uh, this is like my first Mac was uh, running Leopard. This is like right after the Intel transition. So I was like, I missed a lot of the, you know, uh, the delicious like era of Mac software and a lot of that stuff. I was using, I was using like Final Cut Studio. So I was using some Apple like pro apps um, and then like Adobe stuff, but I didn't really get into the indie scene until a decent amount later. Um, okay. And then I feel like I missed out, but I've tried catching up. I started a <laughs> podcast literally to talk to people about it so I could learn more. <laughs> no, it's great. And I've, I've, I've sort of seen your work. So you've clearly learned, like I actually have to say you do a great job. Oh, well, thank you. Um, You're welcome. And that's the thing. Like, I think, Ultimately, it's not about how long you've been doing this. You know, I certainly consider myself uh, one of the old hands now, which is so weird to say because I remember when I was starting out, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. But I, I look at certain app developers, whether they're new or old or whatever, and you can just tell when they get it. You're considerate. You care. You see the detail. You sweat the details. You care about like it just matters. And I think no matter how long you've been doing it, it's that attitude, that care and that passion that really is going to make you make good apps or not. Yeah. Yeah. And that I can't teach that. That's the thing that's so addicting about it is uh, unlike working for a larger company where your goals are business oriented and often business oriented means user oriented, but like specifically the user wants to get this utility out of it. And how can I most, you know, efficiently give them this utility, but to be able to add that extra layer of like sheen and it be appreciated, which is the thing that the sort of, mac apple indie scene uh there is a a a customer base that appreciates that and rewards that that is like an incredible thing and i know it's like hard to especially build a full business with employees which you've done uh and still maintain that but like it's one of the most satisfying things if you care about uh all those little fun details and and the experience of users of uh using it yeah, there's no doubt. And it's very rewarding and it's a lot of work. And yeah, you're right. I mean, a big company, let's just to speak of one, you know, I know that everyone wants this Instagram iPad app and it's yeah. like been the topic forever. And I just read a thing, Marquise Brownlee had finally gotten a reply and they said, oh, we don't have a lot of demand for it. And I, I think to myself as a company like Flexivits, right? I could literally design, whip up and ship with my team. And I'm saying like team of like maybe one or two people on my team an Instagram app on iPad, that would be amazing. No, I'm not doing this for everyone who's about to email me. No, I'm not doing this. <laughs> this is, this is a promise. Every, I'm just every... going to cut out all of your uh, qualifiers at the end. Yeah, and just, just, that's going to yeah, be the whole no, episode. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. I get emails all the time, ironically, about making an email client. And I even get people who are just like friends of mine in the scene that just hint to me, come on, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? And he, even my son said it to me and I said, it will kill me. Yeah, I just, that's I, all I, I've I ever heard. Do an email. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't do an email client. I just won't. I'll never say never, but I just, I feel like Apple Mail works. I feel like it's decent. Do I feel like it's amazing? No, but I open it up and it works and it seems to make me do my work. But like, people really want Flexibits to make an email client. And I just, I, I'm never saying never, but just not right now. But you know, the interesting thing about all the stuff we were talking about with caring and shit and, and, is that Instagram could just ship this thing you know, they invest a couple engineers and just ship it. Just ship the friggin' thing, right? It's an app. Just ship it. And 
to say we don't have enough users is clearly an excuse. Yeah. I, because it's an app. You just build it. You commit to building it. How much money could it possibly cost? And you make people happy. What they're saying between the lines is we don't care if there's an iPad user because the user, because uh, iPad app, because the users are low enough and you're going to continue to use us whether we have one or not. Right. Yeah. And like they have probably so much custom insanity built up around it that it's not like they can maybe but i mean they can still get two of the engineers or three of the engineer five take 10 i don't care from the iphone team and just say let's design it wide let's design it nice let's design it bigger again an ipad app i've always said this i I don't know if you've ever heard me talk in the past but ipad apps do have to be for ipads there's nothing more I hate than someone who takes an iPhone app and just stretches it, right? Because you can just run an iPhone app in 2X mode. I would, almost, I would almost disagree and say the thing I hate more than that is to not even allow it to be stretched. <laughs> that's the thing about Instagram that's so uh, appalling. Like why lock us out, right? It's like the one thing that's worse than giving it no effort is to actively stop it. Uh, <laughs> right. So then that, does, that begs the question, why are they doing that? There must be a reason. It, that's And that's my thing. I actually didn't know that they were... That I actually... Because I don't use Instagram. I don't have any Facebook accounts. I'm like anti-meta, anti-Facebook. I just am. Um, we actually used to support Facebook stuff with Flexibits apps like a while ago. And we just... We stopped supporting them. It's just we're not going to do it. And the thing is, I don't even have an Instagram account. So I didn't even know that. So you can't run it as an iPhone app. You can't install it on your, on your iPad and just... Tap the two X button or whatever. So that's the only way you can run it is as an i as as an iPhone app. So it's still like, I I mean I also have not looked at Instagram and in I don't know how long. So I may be wrong about this, but I believe if you open it on the iPad in landscape, it still opens in one X as a little rectangle, always in portrait. Like I don't even think you can rotate it to be <laughs> in landscape unless unless Apple changed that. So literally if you open, if you're, you know, using your magic keyboard and you want to respond to somebody or whatever it would be that you want to do on Instagram and you open it, it'll open in this little tiny rectangle. And yes, you can hit the two X button, but I understand what you're saying though. It's terrible. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not like it's actually stretching the fill the the screen. It's just kind of wild. Um, but I too, I assume there's some, technical reason my guess i know we're getting into like super congestion here but my guess is that (laughs) like it's a combination of it's not a high business priority and developers really don't want to try and make whatever crazy custom uh ui framework thing that they probably use internally they don't want to make that work on the ipad and so like business would probably be like sure yeah like if we could spend you know this tiny amount of money to do it let's do it and the developers are probably like yeah, but do we really want to support this and have this added to all of our litany of things? Um, but who knows? Yeah, I guess. But I still feel like it's just a decision. Someone there just has to say, okay, let's do iPad, whip something up and make it basic. And then let's see how it goes. It's certainly a solvable problem. Uh- <laughs> Correct. Correct. So from my point of view and your point of view as developers, we know they could solve it pretty easily. Yeah. And last time I checked, they have a lot of money, so they just don't want to solve it. And, you know, the, the thing they want to tell the community is, you know, there's not enough users. So that's that, right? We'll move on. Yeah. I'm not an Instagram user. I don't care. I just find it hilarious. I find the whole thing hilarious. It's like everyone is passionate about something and you don't give it to them. That's like the complete antithesis of flex. Yeah. No kidding. Oh, except an email client. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> except for that. Uh, yeah. So your equivalence is what you're saying. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I, I saw what you did there. I knew that was coming. So, yeah. So, so we were talking about the camera's uh, preference. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the way Flexibits, believe it or not, got kicked off is a friend of mine had given me an idea because at the time in 2009, I don't know if you remember, but when like 
you'd plug in an iPhone into your computer, into your Mac, but you'd have like, maybe a digital camera as well, like a Canon digital camera. You couldn't pick what would happen when you plugged it in per camera. There was a global, when I plug a camera in, do this. Yeah. But at that time, people were starting to get multiple cameras. I might have a DSLR, I might have an iPhone or whatever. So we created a preference pane that literally just, you enabled cameras, all your connected cameras showed up in a list and you'd say, when you connect the camera, do this and that's it. It was literally a solution to a problem. It went over really well, people loved it. And then, you know, Kent and I said, let's do this. Let's actually make a real app. You know, like that was in a utility. Okay, fine. It is a real app per se, but let's do something bigger. So had you, uh, had you like both left your full-time jobs and started a company and then this was like the first thing? Or were you still both working? So no. So for me, because of my history with all the jobs I told you about, and I'm kind of that, at that point, I want to say a seasoned pro, but I've been through the ringer. Yeah. Um, I was just ready to go out on my own because I had all these ideas that I couldn't do and was getting pushback and frustrations. Kent had actually just graduated from college. So he was a lot younger than me. But he was doing software development long enough where I had worked with him for you know at least X amount of years. I don't remember how many years it was, but we'll say at least four years, five years, a long enough period of time that we knew we worked well together. Right. So because he was graduating college, I knew he was looking at companies. You know, I don't know who they were. I can't remember now, but let's just say it was Apple, Microsoft, whatever it was, yeah. the usual suspects, right? I remember saying like, you don't want to go work at a company. You want to work with me and let's build something good. It's almost like, I'm certainly not going to say Steve Jobs, but like, you know, let's change the world, right? Why are you going to go work yeah. at a company? Do you want to sell fizzy pop for the rest of your life or sugar water or whatever? Exactly. Sugar water. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it was similar to that, but I was kind of saying to Kent, like, dude, you're just graduating school. Why do you want to go work at a company? Let's do something awesome. Right. And he agreed and we did it. So obviously he's now been with me and I've been with him for about 11 years. So Pretty interesting that he went right from college to Flexivitz. And if you talked with him about his experience, it'd be like, yeah, college Flexivitz. Wow. Okay, cool. Okay, so the camera preference pane went well. You decided you want to do something real. And you have a giant, you know, cup full of ideas that you want to make happen. Did Was a calendar app one of those ideas? Believe it or not, no. So a lot of the ideas I wanted to do, they were certainly productivity in nature. I will tell you that there were a lot of task management to do stuff that was mm. left over from my things days. Yeah. And it wasn't things that they were planning on doing. It was things that I wanted to add to to the app, right? So I was like, oh, we should be doing this and we should be doing this. So I had all these ideas, but I kind of said to myself at that time to challenge myself as I usually do, I don't want to do a to-do app because leaving things, for being on a to-do app to go to one, it's not really doing anything new. Let's try something different. So Kent, the only thing Kent had was he had this project that he had done in college, which was a natural language parsing engine. Didn't do anything, but it would take input and give output. Okay. So he was sort of like saying to me, what should we do with it? And I remember thinking, okay, well, what are things that you could turn words into that are problems? Because it's like now it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, of course, calendaring, right? But when you don't know what the answer is, it's really hard, Charlie. Like I remember in the, like initially it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, we got to do calendaring. We were like going through all these ideas. And at that time, because, you know, I was starting to plan the company and do a lot of stuff. And I also had, um, I was doing some advisory for companies. I always had things on my calendar. And I remember one day I was using iCal because that's what it was called at the time, not calendar, <laughs> but iCal. And I remember clicking a bunch of times to make an event. I'd have to be like, uncheck this, check this, type in the time, type in the date, blah, blah, blah. Remember, there were no personal assistants. This is back in like 2009, 2010. So we take all this for granted now. And there were a lot of clicks and taps to make that event. And I remember going, 
we can take the parsing engine and you can just enter a sentence and all of those things will instantly come out without all the clicks and the taps. The clicks and the taps are the key presses for the sentences, right? Interesting. So then I chatted with Kent and he's like, yeah, that should work. And then we built a prototype. And then I was responsible for, well, how would the app look? And I always remembered this app that I loved, 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 and a shout out to Peter Maurer because it was his app called Menu Calendar Clock Bar. It had like the stupidest name, but... (laughs) It was basically a calendar that sat in the menu bar that would show some of your events from iCal and that just, it was informational, right? And then you'd you'd be able to have like a a quick view calendar in your menu bar. And I remember even at the time I told him, like, I think they discontinued it. And that's that's part of the reason it was actually good that they discontinued it because I was like, I want that back. Um, Can't remember what happened. And again, this is like, you know, a while ago, but yeah, we basically, I was like, okay, well, let's put it in the menu bar and then we'll have the input field and it'll be quick access and you could quickly see your events after you add them. And keep in mind, we were not replacing iCal. We were not replacing any calendar app. We were just creating this input mechanism and quick check right. list, right? It was just a utility, a utility. It was a $19 utility, to be honest. And that was the goal was let's make something really simple and fast and easy and quick. And... That's it. And then it took off and it, it, people loved it. And you, uh, features came in and from myself using it, I'm like, I want more of my, I want more of my, I, I want more. And we just kept adding features. And then eventually, you know, after, after a while, um, we did the iPhone version and that blew up. I don't know if you remember this, but we actually hit number one on the app store and we took over Angry Birds and Star Wars, which was a oh, big man. deal. Yeah. For a, for a paid calendar app chart. Yeah. No kidding. Wow. And this was, so this was, uh, what year, what year are we talking about? Um, we are talking about roughly 2012, but okay. I'm quickly going to my database to tell you because yeah. our release <laughs> notes, we've kept, we've kept our release notes up. Um, you know, really we want all of our release notes for history so you can really see what we've done. Um, 2012, okay. 2012, um, there's actually a few articles where they were talking about how we took over the top paid slot over, you know, Angry Birds and Star Wars and all this other stuff. And like, yeah, I mean, it really showed that you make a really good app, people are going to buy it. So it's interesting that you started on the Mac because this is still in the, this is when the iPhone was sort of taking off. The Gold Rush era was, I guess by 2012, the Gold Rush era was over. The iPad short-lived Gold Rush maybe was still happening right then. Um, But you started out with, a Mac app and it's built on top of iCal. And then was the iOS version, was it a full calendar app then at that point? Or was it also kind of like a quick view slash quick input layer on top of iCal? Sort of. So what happened eventually, the menu bar app, believe it or not, when we launched 1.0, we didn't even have delete or edit. Like it was it was really bare bones. I remember actually... It's honestly, that's one of the advantages of the fact that we have these sort of platforms to build on is like, yeah, you could, you didn't have to build an entire calendar app for V1 that did everything. Cause like, there's so many insane edge cases and stuff. Uh, I assume that you've since had to do for the calendar, but it would take forever to do the first version of that. Oh, definitely. And you know, one of the things I always try to give this tip, you know, if there are any indie developers listening or any developers that period, they're just developers, when you have something that's decent, and I really mean decent, it shouldn't be bad, but ship it. Because if you go, oh, I really need these other eight things in there before it's good and two years goes by, you haven't shipped anything for two years. I really, 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 really mean this with all my experience, success, and failures. When you have something decent, ship it. 
get it out, let people use it, figure it out. Because I remember when we were launching 1.0, Kent and I were actually having arguments about, oh, delete or edit, do we, you know, do we, let's, maybe we'll wait a few more months and add that. Cause right, it's not a simple thing to add, especially when it's just two people. Um, and we really, re- I mean, I was certainly more nervous than Kent was. I think Kent was just like, well, let's get it out and see what happens. And I was more like, no, I gotta have these features. <laughs> But I think, I think we both eventually agreed, okay, yeah, it's probably not that big of a risk, right? Like I was getting him worried and then he was kind of making me feel better, but then I was getting uh, better and he was getting worried. And then we finally both just said, well, let's see what happens, right? And what happened was not much. The app got out, it did what it wanted and people wanted those features. And guess what? People wanting those features means they love the app. So they're willing to wait two months for that feature, right? They'll stick around. Right. And guess what? We coded that feature and it was in. And now, you know, obviously it's much more, but yeah, so when iPhone came out, just to answer your question, it was what I like to say, this is what I was saying earlier about an iPad app should be a good app for an iPad. I have a philosophy very strongly, you'll never change me, I know I'm right, <laughs> that a mobile app on iPhone should be on the go. It should be mobile, it shouldn't be too much, it shouldn't be so complicated that someone has to stop and figure it out. On the iPad, it's a mobile, um, it's, it's, sorry, it's a portable device so this needs to be something that's going to be on the go, but you're going to probably sit down and use it in a, in a more focused thing. You're not mobile, but you're portable, right? And then a laptop is similar to a desktop where you're working and you're focused and you're a power user and you really want productivity. And we made the iPhone app and it will always be this way because this is the way I design and my team designs our apps is a portable, sorry, a mobile app, an app that's on the go. It should never be complicated and overpowerful. That said, we've done a great job with Fantastical 3.x and forward of feature parity on iPhone, iPad, and Mac. And it's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. I look back at like some of the decisions we made because there's there were times where like, oh, let's cut that. You know, you really don't want that on the go on iPhone. But then it's like, yeah, but someone's going to miss it because they're used to using it on iPad and Mac. Right. But you really have to think and design for a long time to get it to be mobile versus portable versus productive for the desktop and this these initial versions like where we're at right now in the story was it still were you sort of in the product management uh marketing maybe role and kent was in the engineer developer role yeah we were actually talking about this today a good way of putting it at that time it was kind of like kent did the code and i did everything else (laughs) It's not exactly true. We laugh about it. Like, don't take that out of context because Kent certainly does a lot. And I, you know, I input on code as well, even if I don't code. But it really is like that. I come up with ideas. I'm like, yeah, I chat with him. We figure it out. I work on the design. Um, I do the design usually with designers. So I'm really good with design in terms of user experience layout and all of that. But I'm not necessarily the best at pretty pictures. Mm. So I like to work with designers that like are able to not only do pretty pictures, but that also know user experience and we can collaborate on the features. Did you work with designers in these in these first versions? So yeah, on the first the very, 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 very first one we ever did, the 1.0 was a designer named Raji King. Okay. And um, you know, basically I went to him and said I want it to look like this, and he came back and I'm like, no, I don't like that. Let's do this. I'm very, you know, I, I know what I want, right? So I'm sort of opinionated because I already have it sketched out. And then he was really good in keeping up with me and taking criticism and changes and input and and, and comments. And you know, off we went. Then um, a little bit later, we started working with Wolfgang Bartlemy, who we currently work with now. He's our main designer, and. 
Yeah. I mean, just he and I iterate through everything. You know, I, I come up with the ideas, I work with them, we work it out. He designs it, cut it up, we put it in and we're done. Um, we're starting to work with more designers now. Obviously, as we grow, the team has grown a lot. So I know we'll get up to where we're coming, but like when we started, it was just Kent and myself, obviously two people, and we're up to 19 now. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was literally the next thing I was going to ask is like, um, you know, kind of where we left off is you have a Mac app, you have an iPhone, an iPad app, um, and it's you two. I'm sure it's going to come up <laughs> here in a minute, but at this point you have a paid up front app. Um, so it's all about getting new users and there's kind of the ups and downs that go with, with recurring revenue when it comes to that. At what point did you start bringing people on as far as like full-time employees? So I will tell you, it was two of us. Like you said, once we started getting the iPhone app out and then eventually the iPad app, we did add a few people to our team. We were at the most right before we went to subscription with the 3.0 two years ago, because that's the thing, right? The one-time app business, I consider that the old business. The subscription business, when we decided to go, okay, we're really going to do this. We're going to make all of our apps subscription. We're really going to give value. We're really going to focus on not having to worry about shipping every other year, but just when can we ship? Um, that's when the business really changed. But keep in mind, it was only two years ago. It was right. literally 2020. So even with all these years we're discussing, um, the most we ever had, even though we're at 19 now, was six. So we added people on organically. So we got like a customer support person and then we added another engineer and then we added another engineer and then eventually we had one more engineer. Um, I think then we added another support person. So my point is, is like we ended up like doing this pretty, pretty organically. Um, I, I can't necessarily give a direction on like one size fits all, but what I would say is when you have ideas and you want to execute them and you have the funds, right? The money versus the time because Right. It's always the trade off of time, quality and money. Yep. <laughs> and you got to pick, you got to pick, uh, you know, some people will say you got to pick one. I say you got to pick two. Yes. I mean, whatever. There's, there's different philosophies on which one gets cut. But for me, you can't have all three. Right. Because you just can't like, you know, something, something has to ship in a month. I guess you could acquire a company to speed up time, but then that might lower quality and on certainly and on and on. Money. Right. They all have a, <laughs> yeah. And they certainly, well, they all have an impact on yep. each other. So my favorite one, of course, is time because I just want to ship everything today, right? <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. But yeah, so um, yeah, so it was the two of us. Then eventually we added a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And then the jump went fast because it was from the six to where we're at 19 that happened in under two years. Wow. In fact, really the six to 18, which was a tripling, happened after only about a year or so. We, we didn't slow down, but because of the big launch we just had with Fantastical scheduling, we definitely decided to focus more on the current team and doing what we did than just, you know, growing as we had over those two years. Now we're back to growth now and we have a lot, we have a lot happening now in terms of scaling and growing because we were able to take a breath now that we've shipped. But it's all, it's all going to be organic. We don't have, you know, we're self-funded, we're bootstrapped, we're growing well. We're very happy with how things are going. Our customers love us, especially now we've had two years. So we really know, hey, you know, in the first year, how many people canceled? Right. Wow, not many. Turn, right. Okay, in the second year, in the second year, is the hammer going to come down and people going to go, no, we don't want to pay after two years? Whoa, wait, they're not. Because we really are so lucky. I mean, I feel, I know it's more than luck, right? Because it's, it's a good app. But I do feel lucky at how well people are retaining and staying in the app and not churning out. We have 
incredibly, incredibly solid numbers. And it's not to brag, it's more to say that's great because guess what? We can keep adding features and making the value better and we hope they'll stick around. and Provide stability. Or year four, exactly. Yeah, so, okay. I have more questions about that, but I'm going to try and rewind a little bit here. Uh, sure. So at this point, so where we like last left off, you have two apps. You're you're adding people slowly as, you know, needs and funding make it available. Um, but you didn't have recurring revenue on Fantastical. So the only way you could make new money then was new people buying the app, which of course means a big new splashy set of features and you're acquiring brand new customers this whole time. Were you... That's right. Were you mostly investing in Fantastical then at that time? Or I know you came out with Card Hop at some point in between here. Were you doing a bunch of other apps too? So no, um, it was pretty much all Fantastical all the time. Um, then it was Card Hop and Card Hop first came out. That again, I know you're gonna laugh, but that was a Mac app at first again. Okay. Um, I mean, that we're makes definitely sense. Mac guys. We're, we're, we're Mac guys. And I have a philosophy that productivity, I told you about the desktop, right? You do mean productivity on your desktop. It's just how it is. People who want to get into productivity and who really are caring about productivity are on their desktop. It's the truck. So, yeah. So you do it on the Mac first because you can go big. You can do all the things you want to do. Then you can say, okay, what, what would that look like on the go iPhone? What would that look like, you know, remote on a, on an iPad that you're sitting on a couch or whatever? iPad, right? So, um, that was 2017. So to give you an idea of this timeline, Fantastical for Mac. So the first version of Fantastical for Mac came out in 2011. Okay. And it was actually, ironically, it's coming up soon, um, uh, May 17th. So 2011, then we have the iPhone and da 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 And then eventually Card Hop comes out in 2000, what I say, 2017. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's that's more recent than I was thinking. So yeah, it's about six six years after six six years after Fantastical, basically. Wow. Okay, so that was your first major app then after Van- Fantastical. So, uh, so I'm going to throw one in there. We had an app called Chatology. I don't know if you remember this one. No. Yeah. So Chatology was an app that actually stemmed off of the project that Kent and myself had first done before we ever were, you know started the company or whatever. Um, that was 2013 that that came out in. So it was about okay. two years after Fantastical. And what we had decided was, okay, we did Fantastical, that's great. Let's do something else, just to have a little diversity and also work on something different. Now keep in mind, we knew Fantastical was already successful, right? But we just we just wanted to change. We wanted something else, another product to fall right. back on. And what Chatology did was, it was a log viewer for messages or iChat at the time. And if you remember, searching for messages, past messages and iChat or messages was just terrible. It's like terrible, terrible. So actually, we built a log viewer that would be the fastest way to find your chats. And it did really well. It, you know, we ended up sunsetting it, just so you know. We sunset it um, in 2020 because Apple changed messages. They actually made search good. <laughs> they changed- At least well, it was one of those things. The pro- yeah, the pro- at least usable. So the problem was solved. And we kind of felt, okay, we got, and we would have to have rewritten it for the new database because right. they changed search, right? And we were just like, well, you know what? Why are we rewriting it? It works now, right? That's great. So it had its run of seven years, did well. It was a Mac only app, very specific use, right? You have to be using iChat or messages and want to find chats. Um, but that was, that was another product just to throw in there as I'm going down memory lane. Okay. But it, I mean, definitely it was like Fantastical was, was the thing until Card Hop. Yeah, for sure. 100%. 
cool. Okay. So, so card hop comes out. Was that, um, was that, was part of the reason for that to sort of diversify or was that another one of these? Like, we just want kind of something else to satisfy our creative energy. It really came from, we were supposed to actually do a contacts app with Fantastical roughly a year or two after we shipped Fantastical. It was kind of the plan, right? Kent had that parcel. <laughs> it was always the the next thing. Yeah, it was always the next thing. But then Fantastical took off and we're like, oh, well, I guess we should do an iPhone version. Yeah. Oh, I guess we should do an iPad version. Oh, I guess iOS 7 came out. We better do version 2.0 and on and on and on, right? Whatever. You're just trying to stay on the bucking bull or whatever they call it whenever you find product market fit. Yeah, it's sort of like that. Yeah, it was sort of like that. But I also, as... I really consider myself looking out way forward, even though the bucking Bronco is riding right now. I don't. I know this isn't forever, right? So right. we better start doing something else, or otherwise we're not going to be super happy five years from now. Maybe, right? Now, obviously, looking forward now, we're in 2022, and Fantastic House doing amazing. So that bucking Bronco has been a long <laughs> ride, you know? Right? Like, I mean, it's it's pretty cool to say that, but. Card hop was always a passion of mine personally because we had the parsing engine. And besides calendaring, I said, oh, we could also make a good contacts app. Imagine the parser would do this, this, and this. And actually, the parser for card hop is better than the parser for Fantastical. And I'll explain why. On card hop, whatever you type in, all of the context for what needs to go where is kind of naturally in there. First name, last name, address. Addresses usually have a number in them, right? Like a street number, right? right? A state is usually two letters, but if it's not, you could do a lookup for the state name. So that's pretty straightforward. There's only 50 of them, right? Or whatever it is. We can start expounding out into countries. But my point is like the parser with, with card hop for contacts is really magical. You just type it in and it knows what's what. And you don't have to, you don't have to have any like, I don't want to say there's special syntax with Fantastical, but it obviously can't do every single thing, right? right? Because there's things you need to kind of prime it to do. But Card Hop really was just one of those things. I'm like, oh, we've got to do this. So we we always, this is funny. We were always working on Card Hop. Like even though it came out in 2017, I think in 2013, like I said, we came out in 2011. So around 2013, 2014, we started working on it. But it always kept getting pushed to the side for, like you said, the bucking bronco, yeah. right? And finally, at some point, me being the shipper and the launcher, like we talked about, I was like, all right, we got to get this out. We've got to do this. And we, we, we rallied the troops and we did that. But card hop, the ultimate question you asked is, card hop is part of the strategy of what we do at Flexibits, which is to make people's lives better through productivity. We have a calendar app and now we have a contacts app. And contacts flow into calendars, just the way calendars con- flow into contacts. Right. But I will tell you, contacts is not a... How do I say this? It's not an attractive topic, right? I always, I always say like, no one really cares, right? No one, no one's going. Oh, I really need a contacts app. Wow, I've been, you know, searching the market. It doesn't cause people aren't feeling daily friction yeah. with regards to their current contact situation the same way that they're feeling daily friction with their calendaring situation. But you use your contacts every day for myriad reasons. So the thing is, is you may say you're not feeling friction, but how do you know that what you're doing, the way you call up a message or you email me or whatever it is, well, how do you know that that actually isn't a slower way? You're doing it. There's no friction, but it might actually be a worse way to work, right? Yeah. I guess what I mean is you're not, um, you're not feeling pain to the point where you're going out and seeking a solution. Whereas calendaring, similar to email, which is probably why you get so many requests for email. It's like... Even if you don't know that there's a better solution out there, 
when you're using your email app, you're just feeling pain. And so you're like, there's got to be a better way. Whereas contacts, there might That's be true. a way better, or there is a card hop is amazing. There's a way better way Thanks. to do contacts, but it's not something that you sort of intuitively understand when you're using whatever default you already have. Like this is, this is horrible. I need to find a better solution. It's not until you're presented with the better solution. That's true. But I'll tell you one of the reasons why I think is with email, there's an app for email for calendars There's an app for calendars. No one interacts with their ca- contacts daily in the contacts. App. Right. That's you, true. You use it occasionally. So this isn't a, th- you know, when you use it, you probably go, ah, grumble, grumble or add to new contacts or whatever, but you kind of do it once per day, once per week, once per month. You're not really doing it. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not insinuating that everyone should be managing their contacts because they shouldn't be, right? It's a good thing that they're not. Yeah, Casey, but car, yeah, card hop was never meant to be a boring database of contacts. We already have that. It's called contacts by Apple, right? We wanted to take contacts and use them in a way where not only can you add them and edit them and find them, because obviously search is critical, right? The whole point of contacts is to find them, right? But to interact with them. And that's the thing we do with Card Hop that I think has really made people love it and that's been sticky. And just so you know, we have lots of other ideas. This is a work in progress that we think the more we keep doing with it, the more we keep interacting and integrating, integrating it, excuse me, um, the, the, the more it will become a really critical part of, wow, you know, I really can do all this with my contacts. But let me give you like one quick example. So when you're going to make a phone call or an email or a Skype call like this or whatever, the old way, which is fine, is you kind of go to your other tool and you, and you kind of search for me or you kind of look in history or maybe use autocomplete or whatever it is. But there's like a, there's like a, you're kind of thinking about it in another place. With Card Hop, just like with Fantastical, it's in the menu bar, you open it up and you type what you want and you get it. So if you type Skype, Michael Simmons, or copy Michael Simmons home, or Michael Simmons 555-1212, and that's my new number, and it's not in the existing card, so it knows automatically, well, it must be the new number because it doesn't exist. It really makes it this magical, wow, that just worked kind of situation. And I think if you have contacts, if you're interested in having them up to date, if you're interested in, you know, interacting with people on a much easier, more intuitive basis. That's what card hops about. And then that, like I said, flows back to Fantastical because in events you're inviting people, right. you have, you have contacts, things like that. Right. Deeply. I mean, they're deeply connected. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And we, we, we have a lot of ways to make them even more connected. Like with card hop two that came out recently, we added the add to Fantastical um, action inside of card hop, which is really cool. Cause basically you can now invite people from card hop directly to Fantastical from Cardhop without having to switch apps. Um, you know, we added the relationships, which allow you to do family tree and org charts instantly just from the automatic labels that are there. Um, really, really cool things. We're really trying to make your contacts more usable with data that's already there. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to make sure that we we get into the, the big uh, uh, business model switch here. So, so at this point, oh, yeah. you have Card Hop out then and Fantastic Owl, which you're still, you know, riding the bucking Bronco, as we've been saying. Um, <laughs> at some point, you decided to do a business model switch from this one paid up front app to a subscription model. How well, why did that come about, I guess? And then how did you go about uh, taking that on? 
Yeah, so the way it came about is obviously we saw everyone else doing it. And I'm not saying that's why we did it, right? But you see everyone doing it and you see all of the complaints and you see all of the hubbub around it. And you're like, all right, well, I want to learn about this. I want to learn what's bad and I want to learn what's good and why you would do it. And what you start to learn, especially as a software developer, is the last, so keep in mind, we shipped our subscription in 2020. We launched in 2011 or 2009, if you really want to count cameras, right? Because we were selling software then in 2009. But let's just call Fantastical 2011. For nine years, okay, get this. For nine years, we sold apps where we had almost come out with a new app almost every year out of those nine years to really keep the business in a situation where we didn't see it going out of business. And when you say new app, you mean an update? Well, a major update, right? right. So, well, right. right, but I consider that, and this is maybe something like that, that, that I'd like to say to you or see it a different way. It is a new app, right? Because if you launch a Fantastical 2, even though it is just a major, even though it's just a major 2.0 update, you're having to rewrite that app. You know how much work it takes oh, yeah. to make a new app or a new version. And I think software developers, and this is where like people get cheap and say, oh, what am I paying for software for? I think software developers ourselves don't value that it's a new app every time you have something major. I'm not talking about one major feature. I'm talking about like a redesign to the UI or a major upgrade, whatever. Those are all new apps. Fantastical 1 for Mac is an app. Fantastical 2 for Mac is an app. Fantastical 1 for iPhone is an app. Fantastical 2 for iPhone is an app. Fantastical for iPad is an app. Cardhop for um, iOS and iPad is an app. Cardhop for Mac is an app. And then finally, Chatology is an app. So we shipped eight major individual purchasable products in those nine years, right? And guess what? Every time we did that, we had to have a launch, right? Back to the show. And launches are very stressful. They're very time consuming. They're very effort intensive. They're also kind of when you're a customer and you have to now make a decision to buy another version, like, okay, now I say it's a new app and you'd be like, well, no, it's not. Well, yeah, customers see it that way. Why am I paying again for Fantastical? This is bunk, right? So you start realizing that your business is every year or two trying to reconvince people to spend money on your apps, trying to partition and compartmentalize what features are you going to hold back to make it right powerful enough for people to buy, right? And your whole friggin' company is basically driven by sales. And as an indie developer and someone who wants to make really great apps, you start realizing this is a terrible business model. And that's, I mean, everything you're describing applies to the Mac where you can make that pitch and people can pay you for that. But on iOS, that really isn't an option. I mean, very true. Very astute. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, if we were a Mac only company, we'd probably, maybe we wouldn't have changed. I don't know, right? You're right, you're right. On Mac, you can do it. No problems at all. People people go, okay, yeah, software, 50 bucks. Mac, great, I'll take it. Right, and not to say no problem. I mean, it, it's still a difficult task, but at least it's possible. No, but, but there's there, there, people are willing to pay. Exactly. And the thing is, though, people are willing to pay it and people understand the value because it's a desktop and they're probably older school. And you're not punished uh, by the, the, the app store itself, right? I mean, the only way to do that on iOS is to delist or rename the existing one like classic and then come out with a new one in the app store, which now has no reviews and has no uh, ASO. Yeah, but those issues with the app store don't really fall. We, we at least me, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm the CEO. So I'll tell you, like, my decisions aren't just, oh, or the app store debilitating. What I really think about is I want customers to be able to buy my software at a really reasonable price and want to keep buying it. 
And I don't want to have to come out with a new app every year or two to make that happen. What I want is to provide something that is an ongoing service, that has ongoing value, that has ongoing literally service, like, you know, cloud service, right? Something that to just get money because we're updating some bits on the screen. I get why people get pissed on that. I'm the same way. But if we can deliver something that truly is delivering value every month, I don't think someone will be against spending $3 a month for that value. And that's where we're at, right? Because the current model is it's about three bucks a month. It's $40 a year. So that's about $3.33 a month. You get every app for Fantastical, every app for Card Hop, all of the features. I know we'll get into the new stuff in a sec. But what I want to point out is like, it's so cheap now that the only people who say they don't want to pay for it don't want to pay anything. Right. Or it wasn't worth. Yeah, it wasn't worth it. Whatever. Yeah. Now, there are people who want the one-time app and they, they are happy with Fantastical 2. And I think you know with our launch, we did allow everyone with Fantastical 2 to keep their, their features, even in the new app. So they're using the latest and greatest UI. They're getting all the bug fixes. They're getting all the new bells and whistles in terms of whatever's new, right? But we unlocked a special Fantastical 2 mode to unlock the features that they paid for. Yeah. So they're they're kind of grandfathered in because what we could have done is just said, okay, Fantastic L2 died two years ago. You get nothing. And then the app, I'm certain, I mean, I don't really know. I haven't tried the Fantastic L2 binary with like iOS 14 or 15. Well, I don't even know what we're up to any of these days. I think it's 15. Um, I should know. I know that's funny. But like, really, like at some point apps die, right? You don't get something forever. Right. But we've given the latest app. So really, Fantastic L2 in a way will live on forever if that's what you want. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's what, that's one of the things I'm interested in is that switch over and kind of the decision making that went into how you approached it. Because I feel like when Fantastical came out, and part of this might be I was like a fresh uh, iOS developer and so I was a little more in tune, but it, it's almost like the go to example I think of when I think of like these business model switches where it's like, I, especially because we're we're a couple years out of it, I can see the benefits. I, as we've said, am a like true believer in uh, Fantastical now, um, and I, I've yeah. seen all the stuff that you've been able to do because of that switch. But also, I witnessed the kind of insanity of the response to it, and and the amount of internet um, words we'll say. <laughs> that came your way and so sure sure oh yeah i mean we it was it was the worst i will say this it was the best launch i've ever done and it was the worst launch i ever did best at the time or best in terms of looking back you're so happy you did it best at best 100 it was the best launch of my career in the sense of the biggest sea change the biggest impact the biggest benefits the biggest change to my company that made it better absolutely hands down the best and also absolutely hands down the worst in terms of people being upset, mean, attacking, frustrated, angry. Um, it's hard, right? Because I think you know by now, you probably know my, my, my background and me a little bit. I care a lot about what I do, right? I literally care. So when you have people who are really upset that you want them to be using your app, but they're just like, well, screw you. This is a money grab. And you know, it's not. It's hard, right? Because what do you do? What are you going to say? All right, well, yeah, I want to make you happy, so I'll make it free. Right. <laughs> but no, right. because then you have an obligation to stay in business, right? So it's hard. It's hard. But really, no, it's the best launch we ever did. It was the best decision we ever did. And it's changed the company trajectory massively. So were you making... Did you make choices regarding that launch and like how you approach the switchover based on the knowledge? Like, because at this point, there was plenty of other examples of apps that have switched to subscription and lots of people being upset. Were you were you trying to think about that moment or were you really trying to not let sort of the fear make certain decisions and you were really trying to just do what you thought would be best for the long term? 
I think at that time, it's hard to answer that question now because it was successful. Right. And I'm, I'm usually one, of, I believe it or not, I'm usually one that just spits out an answer. But in this one, <laughs> I know no matter what I say, it's, it's like, well, yeah, of course it was great, right? Um, I really, truly, honestly, in my heart, believe it that day, that day when we launched, if I could get dig deep and think about it, I knew no matter what happened, even if people hated it, if it put us out of business or whatever, then that so be it. Like, I, I and Kent felt that this was the best way to sell our software to allow us to continue to make apps. Cause this is the thing I didn't touch on yet, right? Where we could just keep shipping stuff without any schedule, any planning, any holdback, any manipulation, any anything to just make money every year or two, right? That we could just go full bore and make any feature we want. And I do want to say something to you. Then in the last two years, right, we launched January. I know the date in my head, I'll remember it forever. January 29th, 2020 is when Fantastical Premium came out, right? It's the first iteration of our subscription, which is now Flexibits Premium, because now it includes Cardhop. If you go and look at what we've shipped, between January 29th, 2020 and today, February 28th, 2022, it is mind blowing. Like I already said to you, I'm already looking back at the last 11 years of what we shipped, but the last two years is mind blowing. We shipped a major update, including switching over to SaaS and, you know, a subscription, all that stuff, which is big in itself, right? But with a ton of features that were in 3.0. But then we continued to ship tons of stuff, the widgets. Then the following year, we added Cardhop with a major new version and the widgets for that and on and on and on. And then the updates for OSs. And I can go on. I mean, there's so many features. But then we recently launched Fantastic Health Scheduling, no extra charge for the service. And we have way more. I mean, our roadmap is huge. But when you just look at those past 24 months to everyone who said it was a money grab or they're just going to do this and sit back and collect the money and all this stuff. I look back and I go, you know what? This allowed us to really do what we said we were going to do, and that's iterate quickly. No more holding things back. No more thinking about how we can sell things and have launches to make money. We're just going to do what we've always wanted to do. We almost run our business now like we don't have sales goals or sales. We don't need it anymore. We have ongoing customers that want to pay, right? So there's no pressure. Right. You're you're beholden to your existing customers. Right. Exactly. Like you, your goal is to keep them, which is to make the product better. And that's how we do it. We sit there and we don't think about new customers. And at some point, you know, things will grow, right? We have things, we have lots of levers we can pull in things that were on the roadmap for growth. And we, that's fine. We'll do that. Um, in fact, you'll see a lot of really cool things coming this year and next year with that. But we definitely now just go, hey, how do we make our apps better? That's it. Oh, okay. It's ready to ship in a month. Let's do it. We have, we have things we're going to have coming in the next, over the next few months that normally, honestly, if we had just shipped, let's say 4.0 with scheduling and that would have been a new app, we would have to hold back until 2023 because they're big features. So we'd be like, well, why would we give yep. them now? Right. We, we have you have to make it one big bang if you want to convince people to upgrade. Exactly. Every launch has to be a big bang. And there's no law, like literally, Charlie, now we don't even think of something as a bang. We, we may have a feature that we want to promote like Fantastical scheduling and get a bang out of it. That's fine. That was that literally, that was what I was going to ask is I was like, you're saying that, but <laughs> like you just had the scheduling launch and that to me, from, you know, my perspective, that felt like a big bang. There was press, there was videos, there was a whole sort of dog and pony show around it. Um, and so, like, I know you're saying you don't think of a, a version as a Big Bang, but clearly that feature you were treating that way, right? Oh, there's no doubt. But here's the thing. All existing users that are paying get that for free. 
So in the past, that big bang would really be to sell to existing users, right? Every every 20304 or whatever was always really existing users. Let's be real, right? The reason you get those spikes and those jumps is because you have the existing users wanting the new right. one and they buy, right? That's the spike. The spike is all is is in a way now subscription is every year you're getting year one, year two, year three plus year two plus year one plus year three. I mean, you know, it's compounding, right? But we do the big bang for these launches because what we want to do now is we do want new customers or customers that were on the fence going, eh, you know, $30, $40 for a calendar app, that's lame. But I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of people and we've gotten a lot of emails where they go, yeah, you know, two years ago, I thought you were just trying to sell your calendar app for 40 a year, but I see all that you've added in the last two years. I'm signing up. One of the things we did is we actually allowed um, the trial is a 14-day trial, as you know. Mm-hmm. But anyone who had done the trial, you can't do unlimited trials, right? Otherwise, you have a free app. So we actually reset the trial. It's the first time we did this since we launched in 2020. Oh, interesting. That everyone, yeah, everyone can get a trial again. And we saw a lot of people who were, you know, first who came to us and said, you know, I didn't first time, I wasn't going to sign up, but you know, I'm I'm in. I, 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 you know, you've you've added so much stuff in the last two years. I really trust you now that you're going to keep it. And you have that proven track record. Yeah, it's like. Exactly. That's the thing. You were paying for the sins of uh, some money grab people probably in the past, right? Where. Well, I'll tell you as a developer, I, I know there's there's developers out there right now. Their names will not be named that went subscription and that I can give you lots of things that those. Yeah, those 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 were really the money grab people. And that's why people got mad because they they felt that way. Yeah. And now it's like you can look at the last however many years. And I mean, most people don't see this, but also the fact that you staffed up like you're paying people, right? Like the amount that your company has grown uh, is also evidence of that investment. Right. We didn't put that money in our pockets. We hired more people to make more apps. We we reinvested it back into the company to make the product better. Um, and that's, that's what we'll keep doing. The goal right now is to continue this growth, start to grow even more, add more features, more products, more services, more abilities. You know, Fantastical, as you know, is a powerful tool. And we have a lot of pro users, corporate users, enterprise users that want tons of really powerful features. I'm not saying that's all we're doing, but there's that as well, right? There's, you know, there's not just the app itself. There's also a lot of people working at work that need it for work features of corporate features. Right. Yeah, man, it's, I'm, I'm really glad that we got the, we got to talk about this. Cause this is a, uh, this is an app that, like I said, I've become, I literally have it open looking at it right now. And, uh, I feel like this history is really, really interesting. And it kind of goes through a couple different eras of, uh, the app store and business models. I think that's interesting. I guess, one one last question though i know we're like really close on time here but uh when you do these big launches they they do feel like pretty big in terms of getting press and all of that do you what is like your strategy going into those do you do you do any like or like a uh, uh, paid marketing or anything like that or is it all relationships and sort of it is all organic relationships that are you know whether it's press or people or industry people that have known us known me since I I mean so I gave you my whole background right you know I've been doing this since at least 2000 so I'm coming up as crazy as it sounds like I said I can finally say I'm an old hand you know I'm coming up on 22 years of doing this plus right so Lots of old term, old time relations, lots of relations to just people who know my apps and what I do. So typically when I go to someone and say, Hey, I have something cool to talk with you about. They want to hear it, right? Because previous times, I guess they're like, okay, it's been cool, right? So 
Um, a lot of it is just organic historical trust. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, Thank you. I have so many more things that I wish I could dive into, but we are. I just realized we never even talked about fantastic health scheduling. Well, if you want to, <laughs> if you, I don't want to take away your opportunity to give the pitch. I can give my quick version of the pitch, which is. Yeah, I'd rather hear yours. But here's the thing. I have a few, I, we said about, we still have time, so I'm oh, not okay. going to rush. But uh, I, I would love to hear what you think about it, especially since it's so fresh. And I like the first time I used fantastic Cal, uh was, you said the date earlier, was it January 25th? 2020 was that it was that day was it really and the reason was because i had literally i don't even know if i had released but i just started this podcast and this podcast is me reaching out to random people who i especially at that time hadn't really built up any trust uh in the industry and so i'm trying to make this as good of an experience as i can for these people and right one of those really complicated parts of talking to random people and scheduling something is how do you find a time? And so I was kind of using Calendly and that worked okay, but it wasn't great. And so it was this complicated thing. And when when you first came out with that, it came with the, uh, I already forgot what it's called, but the like find time together. What is that feature called? Propose a time, propose a time. So there's proposals and openings. Openings is where you share your link and someone can just pick the time one-on-one meetings. Proposals we've had since we launched 3.0, yeah. but we've really continued to build on it. Yeah, proposals. And that's what I'm talking about is that proposals feature. I'd never seen an app with anything like that before. And I was like, whoa, that might solve this exact problem that I'm having. Um, and it didn't end up working perfectly for what I wanted for this, but it was really cool. Right, right, And right, at right, some right. point over that period of time, I started using it all the time, especially when I switched jobs to being in a remote setting all the time right? and lived by my calendar more. Um, it has become like a go-to thing for me. But that original problem of trying to find a time with somebody who I don't know to do these interviews, especially, um, I hadn't didn't have a solution for. And so what was it? Two weeks, three weeks ago, whenever you announced uh, scheduling, mm-hmm. it was exactly the thing I wanted. It's uh, because the problem with Calendly is I can link it up with a calendar and maybe there is a way to link it up with lots of calendars, but it's certainly not intuitive. Whereas Fantastical, I have all of my calendars all in there and different calendars are for different things and shared with different people, whatever. And I can set up my schedules, uh, my scheduled openings for trying to schedule these interviews with somebody based on all of my different calendars all in one place. And then you have that awesome uh, UI on the web for letting them go through and pick which time makes sense. And it it's like a native way to solve this problem that I've been dealing with for what, two years at this point. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I was very, very excited whenever uh, I heard rumblings that this might be coming and I could not be more excited that it's in here now. Well, it was really interesting because we do have a beta list and then we of course have friendlies that we have like a private list on. And I was getting pinged by friends that knew these friends that were like, how come you didn't include me? And the thing was, is there were certain people I just didn't, you know, I don't want to make it like, you know, you don't want to offer it to everyone because you don't want to also annoy people and you want it to be somewhat limited. But yeah, I was getting people like, oh, why didn't you invite me? I'm like, oh, you're in, you know, whatever. But I realized there's clearly a demand, there's clearly attraction and whoever was showing it, you know, confidentially, internally, whatever. Um, it was resonating, right? So you start going, oh, okay, good. Yeah, like, this, this has even, product this market even, fit. This is great. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the goal with Fantastical is, as you know, scheduling's built in. There's nothing to configure. There's nothing to share. Privacy is important. It just works, all of that. 
that's really why we've been successful, right? It's it's the experience of it. And I think it's sort of how we started on this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to me uh, going all the way back that Fantastical's like original thing was the natural language parser. Because like, I just think of that as like, that's a feature of these types of apps now. Um, but it's really crazy that you sort of grew off of that how can we make this experience nicer based on this technology? 100%. That that parser is actually what started our success. Like it was the parser. It, more, more even ironic is it was the parser that allowed us to have the idea for the app, right? right? So yeah, it, it is pretty wild. And it's true. All of the apps you see today, every feature you see today, all stemmed from this parser that we made to make calendar apps. And it's, or ca- calendar it seems events. like that ethos like if you would have if you were to ask me to have described fantastical before i started using it or even maybe right after i started using it my answer would probably be it's a much prettier more delightful version of a calendar app which is kind of a a thing that you say about lots of like nice mac apps right but that's true that's fair and that's true yeah what i've what i now will say is that it's a it's a calendar app that's like very uh user experience driven which is like a it's a different thing it feels like when you add features even if they're features that exist in other places you're adding it in the fantastical way i know that sounds weird but no not at all i i appreciate that you're saying this because we work hard on these. like i can whenever it comes out i kind of go oh that is how they would do that because it it there's this sort of intended way of using it i don't want to say intended because that makes it sound like you're you're saying there's a proper way to do it but it it feels like there's a a lot of thought that goes into the explicit experience of doing a thing right and you don't just copy a feature that's becoming popular in the industry but you kind of do it in a way that matches the ethos of of this app yeah and that's how we think about things it's nice to hear you say it because we really do try to think well so i'll tell you every feature is really 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 very highly discussed we never just add something for the sake of adding it we never change something for the sake of changing it we don't do anything for the sake of doing it like we have, I'll give you a perfect uh, argument we have that's going on now. Openings, which is a great feature, you have to opt into. And the reason why we have opt in versus everyone's in is it does share information with your calendar with our servers. That's very limited. A lot of it is very confidential and anonymized. And, you know, there's nothing really personally identifying per se. There's some, but not much. But the point is, even with it being limited information, it's still yours. Right. So we need to give you the control to, to opt in. But, once it's on, to get to the openings templates, the meeting templates that you're going to use your link to share with people to invite them to your openings, it's kind of, I don't want to say buried, but it's not obvious in your face. It's in a menu. And we've had a bunch of people say, oh, I'd love to have a button, a quick button that I can quick. Now, there's a keyboard shortcut, but let's say on iPhone, you know, I want quick access to my openings, right? We're working on it. We're, we're, we're kind of thinking about ways we can put it, but here's the rub, right? And this is where, like you said, the way we would do it. Do we put a button in the UI? Okay, fine. You could argue, well, if someone didn't opt in, then you don't show the button. And if they opted in, you show the button. But just because someone opted in doesn't mean they want the button, right? They might be opted in, but they don't want a button now all the time on the UI. And you have to think about things like that because every little bit of real estate, every button you add, everything you change, every dynamic you adjust, someone's going to like it and someone's not going to like it. And everything you take away, like there's, I know someone was like, oh, I don't like this thing. Can you remove it? And you realize, okay, yeah, it is kind of, you'll find 30% of the users are upset that you removed it. 
And now what do you do, right? Now you don't just tell the 30% of the users too bad. Right. So you really have to like belager every point, every detail. And like you said, almost do it. How would Flexivits do it? I'm not saying how we do it is the right way. And I'm not saying how we do it is the only way, but we certainly take a lot of time to make it the best way we think possible. And, you know, we get it wrong and then we fix it and we adjust. But yeah, it certainly is a, a, a long road to get to what you see. Yeah. Well, it it definitely shows uh, you can. I don't know. It's it's just one of those apps that uh, on all platforms that when you use it, you just feel like none of none of the elements that you're interacting with are neglected. Like it just feels like everything's intentional and was thought through. And even when something surprises you, like, oh, I would expect this to be here. At least I've been using it enough now that I just come to expect like, oh, there's a reason for that. It's not just it hasn't been touched in a while or whatever. Thanks. Yeah. No, everything is everything is very purposeful and everything's intentional and everything is well thought out of. And it's nice to see that you see that because that's why we do what we do. Right. We want you to be surprised and delighted. All right. Well, uh, I I, I went a little bit over on your time. So apologies on that. Uh, That's all good. How can people find you and uh, your work? So I'm on Twitter at Mac Guitar, M-A-C-G-U-I-T-A-R. Company is Flexibits and we're at F-L-E-X-I-B-I-T-S. It's Flexibits. So there's an I in the middle. And if you want to check out any of our apps, just go to www.flexibits.com. Again, F-L-E-X-I-B-I-T-S.com. Awesome. Where, where did that name come from? Flexibits. Is that just because it sounds cool? Because it does sound cool. Uh, we were, thanks. So we, were, we were coming up with names for the company. I, I tend to do most of the naming. Um, I was like, what do I want it to be known as and this and that? And I always thought I like, and we put this in our bio or our mission statement, I think all software should be flexible. I think ah. software should work around the way you want to work rather than being rigid and that you have to learn it. I don't like software that you have to get a manual out and work around the software. I think the software should be intuitive enough that you can try stuff and not feel intimidated. So flexible bits, flexibits. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll let you go for real this time. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. It's all good, Charlie. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. Launched.fm.